0: Welcome to The Theatre Project. Today, The Theatre Project is thinking about a career in voiceover. I'm your host, Mary Ionelli, and I sat down with voice talent coach and producer, Anne Ganguza, to touch on the various aspects of starting and building a career in the voiceover field. We hope you enjoy. So Anne, thank you very much for doing this. These podcasts are for our younger audiences, as well as just our patrons who might be interested in different aspects of the arts. And I thought voiceover work might be something that a lot of people probably think, oh, I can read something into a microphone and boom, I'm going to be a voiceover artist. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there is a heck of a lot more that goes into that. So what path led you to this? How did you get started?
1: well interestingly enough I uh, <laughs> I went to school my degree is in uh, engineering computer graphics engineering so I started working out of school for um, an, uh, an orthopedic company designing uh, hip and knee implants and so that was a lot of fun I really truly enjoyed it I got my corporate experience I worked there about for about six years and then transitioned into education and technology because I happened to meet actually my to be boss at a computer class up in Boston Austin. And we kind of hit it off. And he said, Hey, would you like to teach, you know, my adult and continuing ed classes at night, the computer software? And I said, Yeah, you know what, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. Why not? Right. So I started teaching and I fell in love with it. And really kind of felt like that was where my calling was. And I still feel that to be the case. So I started working in education and technology. And we had a decent technology budget to work with. So we were installing voice over IP phone systems in schools and nonprofit organizations and the county police and sheriff's offices. And so I was the project manager for installation. And at the end of the installation of the telephones, I'd be like, okay, you guys just need to record that welcome greeting and the phone tree. And everybody would be like, no, no, you'll do that, right? And I said, uh, okay. So by default, I became that person. And back then you would go in and you recorded it on the phone. So you'd pick up the phone and you'd record that, you know, thank you for calling, you know, your call is important to us. And so I got to be that person and I would lock myself in an office, pick up the phone and I would be recording into the phone. And during that time, like nobody could bother me. So it became like a real kind of a, a really fun world to go in and, and develop a character. And I really, really enjoyed it. And then afterwards, there was just a bunch of people that said, hey, I heard your voice on the system. Was that you on the system when I called the other day? And I'd be like, yeah. And so most people said, well, you should do something about that. <laughs> so I I didn't even know there was such a career such as voiceover. So I, I looked into it. I studied. Um, you know, I started coaching with some voiceover instructors that were really wonderful created a demo and started working in it part-time and then that's how it kind of evolved and I continued my career in in the education and technology field for about 20 years and and afterwards I was like well you know what I think I'm going to give this voiceover thing a a go at being full-time that's really how I fell into it because I really really enjoyed I love the creative aspect of it and because I had I was pretty well versed in technology I also like the combination of you know The heart of the microphone and the audio editing and all that technology that went into it, and so I kind of fell in love with the the blend of the two, the technology and the creative
0: okay. and what are the different types of voice work that are out there? so really, anytime you hear a voice but
1: don't see a face, that's voice work. So it could be the commercials you watch on television telephony like I you know I pick up the phone and somebody says thank you for calling you know please leave a message could be telephony it could be corporate narration those videos that you see on YouTube or on a company website it could be promos for television shows it can be audiobooks that you listen to in the car I mean there's just so much what animation of course the things that you watch on television and the in video games the games that you play on video
0: so wow Yeah. That is a lot. Lots of different genres. Do people usually pick one genre to focus on or do they... Kind of go over the broad spectrum.
1: I think that when they first get started, they're initially attracted to a genre. There's a lot of people who are like, well, you know, I've always made character voices or I can imitate or I can I have a good voice for this particular character. So a lot of times people will come into the field kind of knowing that or imitating people they've heard on television or in their favorite cartoons or their favorite video games. And that usually gets their interest in it because they have so much fun doing it. And then once they get into it, you know, they can kind of evolve and spread out. I think there's a fine line between saying that you want to do it all, because I don't think all of us are good at every genre, but there are genres that kind of, build upon one another. So, for example, I love the geeky stuff. Like I, you know, I'm, I I, think I'm a teacher at heart, so I love e-learning. Anything that requires me to learn, you know, and voice as I learn, I think that's really awesome. And then also my little stint in, in the corporate America, I love doing corporate narration because I get to work for a lot of different companies and I'm, I'm the CEO, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, whereas before I was working for someone else, now I get to, you know, be the CEO. CEO of my own company, and I get to voice for a lot of different companies because those are both e-learning and and uh, corporate narration. They're kind of long format. So I kind of get into the long format type. I also love medical narration because I worked for an orthopedic company. So give me the,
0: the tougher the word, um, the more I love the challenge. <laughs> and how would somebody know what are the skills that somebody needs to do this work and how would they how would they tell if they have it.
1: Mhm. Well, you know, that's interesting. There's um there's a lot of people say how do I know that, you know, this is for me or I can do this or, you know, do I have the do I have the voice for this? And interestingly enough, I mean, we all have voices that are uniquely beautiful and different. And usually when we're listening to someone, we, we wanna have a connection, like a, a human connection to that voice. And so sometimes it becomes more than just the sound of the voice, because even if you have a really wonderful voice, if you listen to it enough and it's maybe not in the right, maybe the voice is not delivering information that's interesting to you or in an interesting way, it can become like background noise or ambient noise. And mm-hmm. so it really becomes how you communicate that information, how you take the copy and make it come alive and make it your own and connect with the person that's listening. So whereas most people think it ha- you have to start off with a good set of pipes, I would say in, in this industry, there's a small percent of people who have really beautiful pipes. And again, that's very subjective, right? I may, you know, like one person's voice and you may not. It really becomes about being able to deliver that information. And so that really is acting. I mean, it's called voice acting for a reason. And so Mm -hmm. you need to take words on a page and make them sound as if they are just coming out of your mouth, like you and I talking. And that's a hard thing to do, because when we learn to read, or at least when I learn to read, you know, we sound the word out from left to right. And if you haven't read what it is that you're going to deliver, right, and you just start reading because you're a good cold reader, that's a good skill to have, you know, cold reading. But sometimes cold reading, you kind of try to get away with just reading it. and And it's hard to connect when you're just reading the information and getting it like as you speak it because Mm -hmm. it's hard to tell a story if you don't know what the story is so literally uh, if i was that i was that girl that used to raise my hand all the time in class and yes i want to read aloud and i would just write hi i am reading aloud and so it (laughs) starts to sound like you just you get in this performance mode and a lot of times people just read the words clearly and articulately and maybe they can make it through a paragraph without making a mistake but it's so much more than that it is so much more than that You really have to make, you have to be able to tell that story, even if it's like a telephone message, really.
0: Everything is a story. Sure. And that kind of touches on two things, I think, how you prepare for a recording session. And do you need to have studied acting or do you just have to, as you said, be able to communicate effectively?
1: Well, I think acting helps. I didn't you know, I came from not a full time acting background, but, you know, I was in school and I was part of the creative arts. You know, I was in every musical. I was, you know, uh, I was that kid that, that just stayed after school days on end, you know, for the play that we were putting on. And and also I was in the choir. And so I loved all the creative arts. But to really, I think, prepare acting does help you a lot. It's not the be all end all, though, because acting behind a microphone is different than acting on stage. Acting on stage, you have someone typically on the stage that you're playing off of and you're also also kind of directing it to the audience, whereas behind the mic, we're in our studios by ourselves. And so that stage is our imagination. You have to be able to really imagine that. And sometimes it's difficult because people who are really good at reading (laughs) forget that they're on a stage when they're behind the mic. So to prepare, if you can get the script ahead of time so that you can read through it a little bit. And most times you get it ahead of time. Sometimes you don't. With that, the cold reading skills come into play. And if you can read ahead and assess what's happening in the script and assess in that sentence that you're saying, what are the important words in this sentence? Because what you need to do is elevate those important words to the ear. I think, you know, these days we have the attention span of, I think, less than a goldfish, which is like, what, eight seconds? And so if we're not communicating and elevating the ideas of the story audibly, I call it audible cliff notes, right? Um, to the listener, then you know. Oh, look! It, I just got a text. Um, you know, we're we're constantly <laughs> being pulled in all different directions, and so you have to be, you know, really an awesome actor to pull me into that story so that I'm interested. And, you know, we all are kind of self-serving. I mean, I don't listen to something if it doesn't serve me in some way or fashion, right. I mean, if I'm not seeking out the information or it's not interesting or entertaining to me. So as a voiceover actor, you have to be that person that is delivering that information that person wants to hear. And so you need to be good at delivering that information. Good at like breaking things down and making it simple because sentences okay, okay. have lots of words. And especially when you're talking about long format narration, maybe some e-learning modules. And like, I'm a teacher, I was a teacher for 20 years. And I, I'm telling you, like everybody always complains about the e-learning, you know, is not engaging. Well, part of that I'm gonna say is the person behind the mic because if you think about it, who was your favorite teacher in school? probably it was the one that was passionate about their topic. They cared about you. They cared that you learned something. And that emotion came through in their voice. And that's what's got to come through when you're voicing an e-learning module. It can't just be like, I am very articulate and I'm going to read this properly and accurately. And it's just, that's not engaging at all. You'll lose your audience. You'll lose your student in like a minute, if not, right. you know. <laughs> if you're not talking and not even just e-learning, but if you're not talking to the person who's listening, why should they have to listen? Exactly. It was kind of like me when I would sit in the back of the class and we, and the teacher would be going on and I'd be like, oh, she's not going to be able to see me. Let me just write that. And I would write the note. You know, Let me write this note and pass it because she's just not paying attention. So that's kind of behind the mic. If you're not paying attention to the listener and in an engaging conversation with them, then they don't they don't necessarily have to listen. That's true.
0: I know there are certain acting vocal exercises for singers and actors mm-hmm. and things they go through. Are there exercises that you do prior to getting ready to record? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, n- and not always. It really depends on like at what point of the morning do I do I need to voice something when the job comes in? Um, because a lot of times in the mornings, people have a lower voice. And so if I want to have a lower voice, I may not warm up quite as much so I can keep that lower voice. But th- just like a singer, I have a, I have a great app on my phone called App Companyist, which has singing scales on it. And I absolutely love it. I do lip trills. Sometimes I just, you know, read aloud. There's a lot of books out there. Rodney Salisbury has a great book on uh, on tongue twisters. He's just a whole lot of fun. So there's, yeah, and you know, red leather, yellow, yellow leather. See, I can't even do it
0: right now. Uh, <laughs> but those types of tongue twisters, which can help you to warm up. Okay. And when somebody is first starting out, how should they start getting into it?
1: I think first of all, they have to find out if they really love it and, you know, maybe find out more about the industry. And there's a lot of great, there's a lot of great information out there, but there's also a lot of information where people are trying to sell, you know, do a quick sell of here, I can create your voiceover demo. You can make money at home. And so my advice there is if it sounds a little too good to be true, it probably is. Because again, this is not just reading words on the paper. It's so much more than that. And, Typically, you don't know what you don't know. It's kind of like if you take singing or music lessons and you're you're starting to develop an ear, you need to develop an ear for your own voiceover and be able to tell if, you know, are you sounding believable? Are you sounding authentic? And so I would say if you have some trusted sources out there, to you know find out what this industry is all about and I you know I mean if if you listen to this episode and people trust me after listening I mean I have a couple of blog posts that I have about how to get started and things that you need to consider and some good book recommendations some good coaching I think coaching is is really important you can try to do everything on your own and you know do everything online and look it up but I I'm going to say that in this industry, there's so many people that think it's, oh, it's simple, I can just get into it, that they get into it, they make their own demos, and then they try to go out and get work and they wonder why it's not happening. Because it's not just also about your voice. I mean, if I could spend eight hours in my studio voicing things, I don't know if I would, but um, I could spend the majority of my time voicing things. But it's also, it's a business. You are a freelancer, and I don't even like to call it a freelancer. I mean, you are, but I like to call it, you're an entrepreneur. You have to wear all the hats of the business. So a lot of people get into this and they realize that they're not necessarily cut out for marketing themselves. So... You can have the best voice in the world, but if nobody knows about it, you can't sell it. Mm-hmm. And that is typically when people get into this, they're looking to make money. Of it's either a career change. Um, even if it's a part-time gig, they're looking to make some money. I mean, you don't want to do things for free out there, that's for sure, because you want your, you know, your expertise to be valued. It becomes a very critical I guess I'm going to say it's a very important thing when you are a, a full-time voice artist or even a part-time voice artist that you know what your skills are worth and that you charge appropriately because otherwise, then everybody in the world can do it and nobody will really make good money at it. And so for, for us, it's it's a skill. I, I practice. I coach with people. I invest money in my studio. I invest money in my marketing. I invest money in my website. It's all very important so that people know that they can hire me.
0: Okay. And I do want to touch on the marketing aspect, mm-hmm. but first I want to talk a little bit about the technology. How much should somebody expect to spend to get their initial setup? Are there certain mics or mm-hmm. uh, headsets or soundproofing? What do they really need and and what would you recommend for them somebody just starting out?
1: yeah there there are a lot there's lots of information out there. It's kind of like what computer should I buy or what you know what car should I buy? I mean, it's that what equipment should I get? You can get a decent mic that you know you can work with for a few hundred dollars usually you need you need a microphone, you need an audio interface and more than likely, you're going to use a microphone that is not a USB microphone because they're not the quality as the other condenser microphones that you can get that work with an audio interface. So a microphone, an audio interface, a computer, obviously, an editing, an editing software, a DAW, so that you can edit it. And you need a space that is probably acoustically, treat, acoustically treated so that you're not recording and then sounding like there's noise in the background, the dog is barking, you know, the neighbor's mowing the lawn. And so that really is where I think the big crux of the, what do I do? There's There are people who work out of their closets, you know, because the clothes act as a great acoustic buffer. When we go traveling, the typical kind of remote setup would be Take the ironing board that's in the closet, put it on top of the desk, and then take the extra comforter in the in the closet, put it over the, over the ironing board so it's like a tent, and then put your laptop and your microphone, and then take the extra pillows and put the extra pillows to the left, to the right, behind and above your microphone, and then you just wow. go into the tent and you record. And usually you have a decent mic that the pickup pattern is more in the front of the mic so you don't get a lot of echo from the back. And, you know, that's what we do when we travel, you know, and and go into hotels, which don't traditionally have good acoustic
0: settings. Right. You mentioned audio interface. Mm -hmm. What exactly is that?
1: So the audio interface, so you have a condenser mic, which usually is connected with an XLR cable, which is a round cable with three pins in it. And you have to connect that to something. And typically you can't connect that into your computer. So the audio interface is like this box that does the analog to digital translation. So that while you speak into the mic, it goes into the in the audio interface, which is doing the translation from analog to digital. Then it's transporting, you know, the box is what connects to your Computer through a USB or whatever the the connection is, but that okay. is the one that is transporting the wave files or your your voice into digital into
0: your uh, audio editing software. And is wave better than MP3?
1: Yeah. Wave is typically more quality. So a wave files, we all start with wave files and it could be like, I always start with like a, you know, a 48 bit wave file that typically is where the best quality audio is stored. And then you can export it to MP3 after that.
0: Okay. Should you produce demos, you know, that you submit for things? Should Do they have to be highly produced like music and intros and all of that?
1: Well, there's a (laughs) there's a lot of talk about should I produce my own demo? And it's kind of like back when business cards were a thing and they probably still are, but maybe not as much, you know, as maybe you have got a QR code. But if you handed somebody a business card that you made on your computer and printed out, it would probably look like a handmade business card. And the same kind of goes for your demo because you don't know what you don't know. And typically, if you go to a producer, it's not that so because I'm a producer, I'm going to say that. I charge money because, obviously, because I have been in the industry for years and I have a lot of experience. So you're really paying a demo producer for their years of experience. It's not so much that you, even if you knew how to produce a spot with music Underneath it. You absolutely could technically, but you're paying for the experience of the producer. They know what is marketable in the industry today. They know what types of industries are buying. They know the market. And so, therefore, they're going to put together a demo for you that sounds with the current trends, as well as understanding the right copy to give to you to showcase your acting ability. So, again, if you try to self-produce, you don't know what you don't know yet, right? Maybe you haven't developed an ear yet to find out or to hear if you're really being authentic, if you're really being conversational or if you sound announcery. That's the right. big telltale sign when you're getting into this is that you sound like all those commercials that you used to hear, uh, depending on your age. You know, a woman of a certain age, I've heard commercials, you know, for years and we tend to mimic and what's really happening now is that advertisers aren't looking for that announcer sale because it doesn't sell right people we're a smart consumer base we don't want to be told what to do we want we want to be communicated with and say hey this is an awesome product have you tried it you know and it's so and it's much more conversational much more engaging and authentic because that sells that's why our voiceover trends our casting directors are asking for conversational nothing commercially nothing amount announcer And the funny thing is, is that sometimes you'll hear what comes out and it does sound commercially, but... (laughs) Whatever, whenever we're auditioning, the specs say nothing commercially. Really depends on who's listening and who's directing at the other end and or what the client wants. Maybe the client has a a sound in their head. And that's why it's so subjective in this industry, too, is the people directing you have a sound in their head of what this is, what our voice should sound like. This is what should sell our brand. And it should sound a certain way. And if you're a good voice actor, you can take direction. What I talk about with my students all the time, I'm like, look, you don't need me to teach you how to be announcery. We all kind of have that innate ability in us to just go, hey, thanks so much. You know, and, and so we all have that innate sound in our heads. We have to fight that to be the authentic, engaging conversational voice, which sometimes the copy is not written in a way that makes you feel conversational.
0: Okay. And just touching on the the equipment, one more. We talked mm-hmm. about the mic. What about a headset? Is, is there... Oh, yeah.
1: Headphones. Mm-hmm. Okay. So microphone, which connects to your audio interface, which connects to your computer. And then you're going to have audio editing software. And yes, headphones. I have my favorites. I have all different colors that go with my brand, but I love the Audio Technica headphones. And I actually have so many people asking me, what should I buy? I have a page on my website that has recommendations as well oh, on, awesome. on good equipment to buy. Mm-hmm. I love my... I love my colored headphones. Um, <laughs> I have red, orange, blue, white, black. Mm, I'm waiting for a hot pink there to come go. out,
0: but you know, I always try to color coordinate. <laughs> and then something else I heard about was de audio. So
1: de- sometimes sometimes people are sibilant, meaning their s's they they it almost sounds like a whistle or it's very evident. And so de is a software that usually comes with a software that can help to soften the S's and not make them so high and whistly. Okay. And that's what de does. I'm fortunate that for whatever reason, I don't really have, I'm not really sibilant. So I'm happy about that. But there are some people when you listen to their voiceover and they're recording, you can hear that the S will sound high, very high pitched. And okay. so a de will actually help to tone that down.
0: Are there some audio editors that are reasonably priced but still provide good audio quality for somebody just starting out?
1: I think it's really very personal. It, it's, it's your personal choice what is easiest for you to use. Because I have a Mac, I use a, a software called Twisted Wave, which is made specifically for the Mac. And it's just a very simple one track audio editing program. You don't have to be, I'm not, I'm not an audio engineer. I work with audio engineers to do demo production, but I am not an audio engineer and, and I don't really want to be one. I just want to be able to, to give, you know, to provide my clients with good audio. And so for the past 15 years, you know, you typically only provide one track and that's your vocal track. You're not typically putting music behind your spots. Uh, once in a while, I'll do it for people, if they want like on hold messaging, I can do that. So my software is Twisted Wave runs on a Mac only. They do have an online version, which I think I don't think it's as good as the one that runs on the Mac. So if you're Mac platform based, I like that software. A lot of people in the industry use Adobe Audition. That tends to be a very popular one. And then if you're running on a Windows machine, you know, also Adobe Audition or Logic Pro or, you know, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of DAWs out there. And I think it's really what you're most comfortable with because you've got to be efficient at it. Like, I don't want to spend my life editing audio. I want to be able to mm-hmm. record, get my get my breasts out of there, get my, you know, clicks and whatever else that's in there that needs to get out and be done with it and send it to my client. So I want to be quick and efficient. And so for me, Twisted Wave does the trick. Okay. And there's also a free one out there that a lot of people get started with, Audacity, which is great because it's free. But again, it's free. So there are the certain things that might be a luxury. Like, like I always say that I always say that Twisted Wave is audacity like you know 20 times um, <laughs> because audacity in order to zoom up into a waveform so if let's say you need to remove a click you have to do a, like a control character a few times to zoom close enough into the wave to get to it with Twisted Wave and a Mac if you have a magic mouse you can just swipe up and it, it zooms into the wave really quickly so oh, wow. that becomes an efficient thing for me um, to be able to remove that click and and then just you know, go back out. So editing is editing is one of those things that if you are recording, let's say, an hours worth of e learning modules, you can expect to spend at least. It's like I, for me, it's a one to three ratio. I wish it would get quicker, but it doesn't. It, it for every hour of audio, it takes about three hours to edit it because number one, you got to listen to it for accuracy. Then you've got to take out breaths, move in and out of the wave, and then just it's, usually it's a one to three. And you can also outsource that as well if you don't want to spend your life editing, which I have a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs>
0: so. And then I thought I had read somewhere that there was some talk about watermarking your auditions, mm-hmm. I guess, so that people can't- Steal them. Steal them.
1: Yeah. You know, there are people that talk about watermarking. I've never watermarked my audition just because I think it's when you present, here's my audition to a client and you've watermarked it, you've already said to them, you don't trust them. You know, because I, I think you might steal it because the watermark you can hear. Obviously, it's an audio watermark. Oh, OK. So you, typically that's what happens. And so what I do, if I if I think possibly that maybe, you know, if there's a whole script and they're like, hey, just record this is your audition. And it might be like a whole minute or two minutes. And I'm like, wow, that's is that the whole script? And so if that happens, I might change the name of the product. I might change, you know, if there's a phone number, I'll change the numbers around And I'll also may not do the whole thing. So it really depends on how I feel. You really have to like that. That's where your business sense comes into play. Where did that, job come from or where did that audition come from? And can you look them up? Do you know like who are they as a company and how long have they been a business? And so there's just a lot of things that innately as a business person you can look into to see if they might be a trustworthy first client. And usually every time uh, if I have a new client, I will um, make them prepay me at, at least a hundred percent. I ask for a hundred percent of the payment up front so that, and I, and I ask for it to be done electronically. So that way I know that I've got okay. the payment and that way I know, great, I can trust this client. They obviously are, you know, are going to pay me and because most of our work is done online, you know, and in our home studios. So you really have to have like a, a business savvy when you're working with new clients. I mean, you don't want to be stiffed by clients and right. have them take your audio and then not pay. So it really becomes a whole, a whole nother you know, aspect of your business, which is kind of vetting your clients. And the cool thing is, is you own it. You're the CEO. You get to work with who you want, and right. so you become good. I mean, I, over the years, I've become good at, at um, you know, kind of checking things out and vetting my clients. And I, I am actually really proud to say this that I, in you know, over 15 years, I have never not been paid. Well, that's so all. yeah, so it's just kind of worked out where you know I've done my homework ahead of time. If I get like, let's say an inquiry from somebody through email and they don't have a signature file or, you know, they don't have a company name associated with their email. Sometimes that makes me look into it and I, I'll ask more questions. What does your company do? You know, and that, you know, that really becomes
0: the, the whole process of vetting, which is important. Okay. And for somebody who's just starting out, they've, they've set up their audio and, and their little room, the recording room, um, where do they go to look for for work? Like, how do they get started with that? I know for acting, you can go to, you know, casting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Things. Are, there, are there those for voiceover work as well? Yes.
1: Yeah, there are online casting sites. There are, you know, production companies and advertising agencies. You can do some direct marketing. Um, the online casting sites, you pay a membership fee. They've really evolved over the years. When I first got into the business, online casting sites, like they call them pay-to-plays, were just coming on board. And they were really some good opportunities to get work. And the nice thing was, is they didn't play a middleman so much as they didn't manage the job. So it would be, here's the job posting, and you would fill out a profile. And if you matched the job description in the in the description, they would send you the audition. And so I got a lot of clients and a lot of repeat clients that way. So I would do a job and they would be happy with it. Then ultimately they would come back to me, you know, for Mm -hmm. more work. And so that was a great way of establishing a client base in the beginning. But now pay to plays have been around for quite a few years. And what they've done is they've elevated now they have um, tiers of membership. So, you know, if you want the most expensive tier, and I think on one of these platforms, you know, they're like $8,000 or $10,000 for being at the top tier. And the top tier supposedly gives you top of the line search. You know, if, if the job when the job comes in, you get the opportunity first to audition for it they've evolved with tears. And the interesting thing about that is that as a as somebody buying into an online casting site or a pay-to-play, you don't know <laughs> like how do I know that I show up at the top of the search engine? It's really difficult. So you kind of are just leap of faith here. Take my $5,000 or whatever that is and let me get the best jobs first or the opportunities anyways. It's worked out well in some on some platforms for people. There's other platforms that the community has been aware that maybe there are some unethical business practices where, the you know, the company might be trying to manage the job. And so let's say if the client has a thousand dollars to pay the voice talent, the pay to play state um, putting out that job may take, you know, over half of that which is they've already charged you for a membership. So now they're going to charge you for managing it, which, you know, and you can't contact the client and it just becomes kind of a mess. So the pay to plays have become a love hate, you know, for, for the voice talent industry for all of us out here. And so a lot more of us are marketing our own selves and doing direct marketing and agents as well are a portion. So I say, put yourself in front of as many
0: opportunities as you can to get that work. And you would find those opportunities where?
1: So, like I said, online pay-to-plays, they're out there. There are different sites. There's, you know, Voice123. There's castvoices.com. There's a bunch of them out there. Uh, VO Planet is one. The other one I won't mention because that's the one that I we feel is mismanaged. Um, but they're out there. Bidalgo is another one out there. It really depends. They're all different pay-to-play sites. Then there are direct marketing, which if you wanted to, you could go into Google and type in production companies in Southern California, and then find the websites and try to find the contact, and then direct market to them and send an email or call them up. Which is that's a tough one because if you've ever gotten an unsolicited email in your you know, inbox and you know how you feel about those. Usually it's, I'm like, oh my God, leave me alone. How'd you get my name? You know, how'd you get my email address? So, you know, that's the tough part about the direct marketing through my VO boss platform, my, my podcast, I offer a product called a boss blast where we have a list of over 90,000 creative agencies that we've, we're in agreement that we can market to them. So, voice talent can come and purchase a boss blast and they can be marketed under the VO boss domain as a voice talent. Um, and they can, you know, showcase their demos, showcase their previous work. And so that's a marketing, that is a marketing uh, product that we offer. So that's, and, and the good thing about that is that the, we've, they have agreed to be marketed to. That's the biggest thing, especially when you're talking about this day and age with spam compliance. You have to, you cannot just send an unsolicited email, you know, selling your services. People can turn around and and fine you for that
0: mm-hmm.
1: f- because it's just, you know, I didn't ask for it. I did not give my permission. So there's lots of, compliance rules and laws that you have to follow. Uh, and that's why I think the product that we offer is is really great because you've already got the permission. Whereas if you're cold calling or you're sending an email, it, that's just much, much tougher. So pay to place, direct marketing with a vetted, I call it a vetted list, a, vis, a list that people have given their permission. So for example, the other thing too, if you have a website and you have, you ever gone to a website, they have a pop-up and they'll say subscribe here if that can be your vetted list of clients or people who are interested to hear more from you, that gives you the permission to send them an email and then sell to them. Then you're not violating any spam laws. So pay to place, direct marketing. I'm trying to think agents and agents typically work with only broadcast. So it would be commercials or promos that you would hear on television, animated shows, documentaries, because for them, remember, an agent is the kind of the in-between that helps, that works with the client and then also works with the talent to get deals. They negotiate contracts. And typically those contracts are ones that pay again and again. So if you're going to run a commercial in a certain region for a year or 13 weeks or whatever that is, you'll get paid each time it runs. And so okay. that's where it becomes advantageous and also um a way for them to make money i mean agents it's a business right they have to make money sure. and so if they're doing you know they typically don't send out casting calls for e-learning modules because it's a one time payment and they're going to make 10%, let's say, on a $500 job, you know, 50 bucks. It's not always worth their time to, you know, really establish that relationship and then send out the casting call to their list and then shortlist it. And it's a lot of work for them for not a lot of return on investment. So
0: so those types of jobs are usually um, either direct marketed or from a pay to play what meaning? No commercials or what? Do you, which jobs? The um the e learning like the oh. ones you said are like one time.
1: Yeah, e learning and non broadcast. Yeah, non broadcast is usually you know people and the other thing too I forgot is that your website becomes becomes a place where if people are looking for a commercial voiceover or they're looking for e learning voiceover person and you show up on the list and they go to your website and you've got a great demo and they hear it and they go oh I love that voice then they send you an email and say we'd like to hire you how much would it cost for this particular piece of copy. And so that's, that's for me, I'm fortunate enough that I've been I've been around long enough that I get a lot of work from people coming right to my website and hearing my demos and then saying, hey, how much would this cost? That's the best kind of work to get because I don't have to audition. Auditioning right. is work. So I, I'm very fortunate that I get a lot of work that people come to my website and hire me and also they refer me to other people. Mm-hmm. And
0: so that works really well for me. Um, because I know we only have a few minutes left. I want to make sure I'm cognizant of your time. Mm -hmm. The first thing somebody who's looking to get into this should do is get the equipment set up, then do the demo, get somebody to then create their, I'm trying to, Step it. sequentially. step it. Yeah. Can you do that for me? Sure.
1: I would say the first thing to do is to research the industry first. You know, don't go out and buy equipment yet. Research it. You know, like I said, I have a lot of getting started, um, you know, blogs. Here's what you can do. And you just want to make sure you're going to sources that you can trust that aren't going to try to like take your money and run. And I will say that if somebody says I can produce your demo after a weekend or a couple of, you know, meetings with you, and like I said, if it sounds too good to be true, it's pretty much good, too good to be true. So it takes work. So do the research first online, get good sources of information, read some books. Then I would say find a coach because the coach is going to be able to listen to your voice, is going to be able to direct you, going to be able to teach you techniques that are going to help you to develop your acting skills and develop your voiceover skills so that you can obviously do work and get paid for it. Then when you're ready... You make a demo. You don't make a demo after meeting two times with somebody and then they direct you because you need to have the smarts when you get into your own booth to make those good acting choices and to make those decisions. So if you have a spot on your demo, I want you to be able to recreate that on your own. Think about it. We go to school for years, right? Or we even work a job 40 hours a week. And so how can you make a demo and say you're a professional voiceover actor when you've only spent two hours of your life doing it? Right? (laughs) Just doesn't make sense. So find a good coach, find a mentor that can help you along and make the investment. It really is an investment in a business. Don't try to do it for free because you'll get what you pay for. Uh-huh. Invest in a coach. And then when the co if you have a good coach, that coach will only produce your demo when you're ready. Produce a demo. Cause that is your profile. That is your calling card. That is your resume. And then you should have a website because every good business these days should have a website. Um, you'll have to develop that. And then you're going to have to market yourself. And that, includes that website, the social media, maybe, you know, figuring out joining a pay to play and then direct marketing through a vetted list that will help and then get work. And t- keep in mind that my, te- that my overnight success came after 10 years of hard work. That's really what it, and Malcolm Gladwell yeah. says 10,000 hours, right? You put your 10,000 hours in. So just keep in mind that it is something that it's not going to typically come overnight. You know, it's very, very rare that that things happen overnight. As a matter of fact, it's almost impossible, but there's always that one person. A lot of times, if you're looking at that one person and it seems like they're an overnight success, they probably put a whole lot more than, you know, one night into it. So, so hopefully
0: that helps. That does. That does. Thank you. Now, also with actors, there's union, non-union. Do we have the same in yes. voiceover? Yes. And so there's
1: union and non-union for voiceover. And typically the union is the stuff that, again, gets the royalties and residuals. It's the anything that's broadcast. Okay. And union also, though, has a, a good part in audiobooks. So... Uh, union is not going to handle someone doing e-learning modules and uh, they're not going to handle somebody doing a corporate module or a one-time non-broadcast fee. So if you are doing really well commercially and you, let's say you just booked a national campaign for, I don't know, Verizon or, or whoever that might be, then you might need to be part of the union and then you then follow the union rules. The good thing is that the union is there to help you to negotiate, And they help to protect you there. But there are a lot of people in this business that aren't part of the union. Like, for example, people doing a lot of e-learning work or corporate narration or medical narration, they may or may not be part of the union because their business is running fine. They're able to handle the negotiation on their own. And, you know, really, it just depends on the, the genre of voiceover
0: that you're that you're going into. Now, with actors, there's one union for stage acting. There's another for movies and film. But you have to, like in film, you have to put in so many hours or do something. Is it the same with voiceover or do you just join pay your dues, and then you can apply for union jobs. Well, yeah,
1: jobs. essentially that's it. Or if you've gotten a job, let's say that you auditioned and it was a campaign and you got the job, then it becomes like, all right, you don't have to join the union just yet. You know, you have a certain amount of jobs and then they'll say, well, now you're required to join the union. But for the most part, okay. you know, when you get to that point, you make that decision, I'm going to join the union or not. And it depends on, you know, where where you live and the, where you're getting the majority of your work, you know, are you in a right to work state? Are you, are you in California? That kind of thing. So it's a complicated web. <laughs> that's- oh, <yeah.
0: laughs> and That's something too, like, because voiceover work is all recording, do you have to live in like a metropolitan area to do it? Or can somebody on the East coast mm-hmm. work uh, with? Good, excellent question. So
1: for the most part, especially, since this, the pandemic, everybody had to up their home studio game, that's for sure, because none of us could go into studios. And so I think really that made a huge difference these past couple of years where everybody really just upped their game. And, and for me, like I was in the business 10 years already before the booth that I'm sitting in now is a custom booth. And prior to that, it was like, you know, something that my my um, it, it was a great booth, but it was something my dad put together. It wasn't as expensive as, let's say, some of these booths you can buy are like over ten thousand dollars. And because mine was constructed in my new house and it's a custom booth, I mean, I paid a, a, a certain amount of money to get that in there, but I didn't have to pay that amount. But I've been in the business. I mean, this is what I do for a living. So now it becomes an investment.
0: Okay. And lastly, but certainly not least, if there was one thing you could do differently when you were starting out, what would that be? Or is there anything we haven't touched on that you... We should.
1: Hmm. Is, would there be anything? You know, honestly, would I do anything differently? That's interesting. I don't think so. <laughs> to be honest with you, I've been really okay. happy with my journey. Hey, that's
0: yeah, exactly where you I, are, I, I'm, right? I'm really happy
1: with the journey. I worked really hard, you know, and I never gave up. And I think that that was... Part of it, and I think one thing that was probably key for that was, I, I think I've always been a person that kind of follows my gut, and for me it works. And so if it's not ringing true for me, then then I'm usually not happy. It doesn't bring me joy, and I'm not going to be as fulfilled in it. And so for me this pursuit of a voiceover career and doing it full time. The really cool thing is is that I'm able to completely design my business exactly how I want, right? I love doing voiceover, but I also love teaching. But I also love, you know, sharing information. So my my business is divided into like three different brands. One is my voiceover brand, the other is my coaching brand, and the other is my demo production brand, and the other is my well podcast. So it really becomes I get to divide my business up the way I love. I spend 50% of my time educating people and coaching and doing demo production, the other 50% doing voiceover, which to me is wonderful. But then I shouldn't say the other 50, but then I have, like I said, my VO Boss podcast, which is a, a passion of mine. I have a group called the VO Peeps, which, you know, is like an online group of people that we do online workouts. So I've really been able to create my own business and create my joy and create. And it it has got to the point where I'm able to make a profit, which is important. I got to help pay the bills, right? I've been able to make a profit on all of these tendrils of my business. It's weird. People are like, why do you call it tendrils? I don't know how else to say it's my tendrils of my business. And so I don't have anything that I would do differently. I've given myself grace. If things didn't work out, I simply changed direction. I don't even like to say failure, but it is. You embrace the things that you fail. But what I do is I dip my toe in the water. And if things don't appear to be working out, I'll change direction. And and that's how I've been able to evolve and feel successful and and be successful in the business. So that would be no regrets. And what was your your other question? was,
0: Was, Was there anything that we haven't covered that you think we should have? Of my nine hundred and fifty two questions
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna say, you know, honestly, like and it sounds so like, I don't know, ethereal. I mean, it's just like follow your follow your passion, follow your joy, and but be smart about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like I feel like anybody that wants to get into this industry is, you know, understand that it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think if you remain true to yourself and you work hard, Just like if you were doing any, you know, if you're starting any business, you have to have some business sense. So do your research, education, education, education. Coaching is, you know, I have to say, and that's not because I'm just a coach. I think education, that's, you know, I spent like half of my life already in education. I feel that it is so, so important to always learn, never stop learning. And you can always get better and better and better at your craft. And so always put that investment in yourself and know that you are worthy. You know, you are worthy of, of making a living doing this. And you do not have to do work for free. If you put the work in, you put the investment in, you are worthy of making money in this industry. I always say I'm not going to put the rose-colored glasses on. You know what I mean? I'm not going to, like, sell you the dream because it's it's hard work. And like I said, ten thousand hours are the overnight success of ten years of effort. Right. That's. I think that's why I have no regrets.
0: That's great. Yeah. Now, last, mm-hmm. um, where can people find all of these things that you've mentioned <laughs> uh, for you?
1: I'm like all online, all over the place. But first and foremost, anneganguza.com. A N N E dot com, and if anybody's interested in talking about the industry or they might want feel like they want to get into it and they want to know a little bit more or looking into possible coaching I have a free you know 20 minute consult we can talk so that's available on angenguza.com. My VO Boss podcast, I would say, is an, is an educational resource out there for anybody who wants to hear. It's all about the business of voiceover. And it's at VO Boss, V-O-B-O-S-S dot com. And then uh, if you're looking for fun group workouts you're already in the voiceover industry I have a group called Vo P E E P S dot com and you can find monthly monthly fun workouts there I also have uh, you can join for a relatively low cost per month and watch videos on demand um, and get some good education so if you don't have the money to invest right away this is a low cost I would say vetted <laughs> opportunity to learn from the best of the best so what I do is I ask people that are in pro people that are in character animation, people that are in video games, I ask them to come and teach. And so anything that, you know, that people can benefit from and we do workouts online and you get the ability to watch those videos and and
0: learn. So, okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. There was so much information. I probably could have gone on for (laughs) another two hours. Well, I
1: appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share because I love, love, love what I do and I love to share.
0: So yes. And I, I, I hope some of the people who listen to this, who are interested in pursuing this, you know, definitely check out your website and all of the other things you offer. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Anne. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, you take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Theatre Project Thinks About. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Anne and gained some insight into the immense world of voiceover work. It's not just reading into a mic. Our audio engineer for this program was Gary Glore, and our theme music was provided by Gail Liu and Damien DeSandes. Visit thetheaterproject.org to sign up for our mailing list, as well as check out the many links and resources in the show notes. And if you liked what you heard today, please consider leaving a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time. I